Hello, oh, 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 everybody. That was smooth. Was Felt like an easy listening show. You're listening to Easy Listening 101 with the Lanky Guys. My oh. name is Dr. Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Musset, and we are very pleased to announce to everybody that Scott, Dr. Scott Powell's revisions are like totally, 100%, entirely done. Yes, that's true, which means nothing to you, but it is exciting to and me. Well, um, I, you know what I'm really excited about? Your honestly? motorcycle trip starting tomorrow. Yeah. And did I steal your thunder? Can I just point out how many angry emails I've been receiving from people saying, please do not podcast on the motorcycle, mainly mothers who like to point out to me that they're mothers and <laughs> like to point out motherly in a motherly way. Do the, not podcast from the motorcycle. There's something about moms that are naturally protective against motorcycles. Like I think that there's like That's a fair. gene that you get <laughs> In in some point in the line where you're like motorcycles and are bad. In fairness to the mothers, I think it's more having to do with you trying to do a podcast recording while driving a motorcycle at 80 miles an hour. Yeah, that's in their good defense, point. I think that there there's legit. I've gotten actually it's a, a lot. pretty terrible idea. I've, got, I've gotten a lot. So for everybody who <laughs> uh, who has who has commented and and like said you know that I shouldn't do it, I'm not going to do it yet. So it'll be uh, <laughs> in my in my, in our well in my defense. Last week I really thought you were joking, but maybe you didn't think you were joking, dude. I got a Bluetooth headset, man, in my in my uh, helmet. In your helmet? Yeah. No. Uh huh. Really? It's, you yeah, got a, a fancy little, helmet? Yeah. No, I just it's just like an add-on you can put on any cheap old helmet. Really? But I got a, a decent Bluetooth helmet. headset. Uh huh. And so you can make phone calls and oh. uh, like and like listen to audiobooks and I mean record podcasts. And record podcasts. Wait, is there a microphone in there as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, well, this is more and more intriguing. I, I pictured you trying to hold a mic and have your headset on. Oh, no, no. I, was I just didn't gonna, really picture it. A no, trailer with all this equipment <laughs> pulling behind you. Big And antenna. me in a little sidecar. Oh. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Dude, I love sidecars. Yeah. The I wish thing. I was in a sidecar. I wish the one way I would do the podcast with you on a motorcycle is if I could sit in a sidecar. Dude, I would be into that. Really? Yeah. How much are, How much do you think sidecars are? A lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to have a, a lot of money for something that looks that dumb. <laughs> Amen. Except for, dude, I found this like a great motorcycle company called uh, Janus Motorcycles. Okay. And or there's something along those lines. And uh, does Matt's wife of, make them? Out of uh, it's uh, U.S. Janus oh, is in like the 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 Roman god of the road yeah yeah and uh, they make these little like super cool bikes that look like they're like straight out of 1910 really out of Goshen Indiana super cool man so I'm gonna visit it actually I just, I just a, picture Hogan's driving. Heroes little motorcycles that uh, <laughs> Corporal Clink rode in on did you just Do you remember dr- Hogan's Heroes did you just drop Corporal Clink yeah and you Hogan's better Heroes? believe I dropped Corporal Clink dude I'm like I didn't grow up with cable so all we had was reruns on Channel Two. I'm real impressed, like. Thanks, man. We should get to this uh, show on the road. 13th Sunday Ordinary Time. Not literally on the road, like you are. Uh, dude. Metaphorical road. Dude, I, we have to, I'm going to record something with you on the road. Right now? No, okay. at some point, and, and just to demonstrate that I didn't. <laughs> of course, watch, I'm going to totally crash and die while on the podcast. If you do that, will you make me a promise that you will publish it up into the point of, of the screams or probably something? Probably not. I'm okay. probably not going to make that promise. Oh, dang it. Okay. It's all right. Because well, I love you. 
13th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Also, it would be for those devotees, it devotees. is also St. Jose Maria Escriva's day. Is it really? Yeah, but we oh, are not going to celebrate it because Sunday trumps it. Oh, I see. Well, you should pick up a copy. You're a little tiny copy of The Way. Dude, it's Just really, an honor. Dude, the Way is the best. Just like little tidbits. I love the little tidbits. They hurt a lot, and like, but they're good. They're like food for the soul. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's, it's, it's like pulling a nose hair. It it's, hurts a little bit, but you know that it's satisfying because you feel fresh and clean. Oh yeah, totally. They're the best. Dude, I have a, I, I've noticed that I, I'm starting to have gray nose hairs. Didn't. <laughs> Do you know how upsetting that is? I don't know is? how to respond to that. I Do literally you, don't. That's like, that's like, that. that's like how you know that you're getting old. Do you have gray ear hairs as well? I don't know. I don't have ear hair. Father Brady does though. He has ear hairs? Yeah. Wow. Dude, we've been talking too long. Uh, the first reading today for the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time is 1 Kings 1916b to 19:21. Yeah. Well, jumping to 19 through 21. Yeah. I, I knew what you meant. But the people out there to help the people. Okay. Our responsorial psalm is Psalm 16, verses 1 through 2, 5, 7 through 8, 9 through 10, and 11. And the response itself is coming from 5a. 5a? 5a. Like, dude... Oh, Canada. How do you sing that Canada song? I always thought it was to the tune of, of Oh, Christmas Tree, but I don't think that's true. Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. How lovely are your maple leaves. Wow, we were in sync on that one. That was beautiful. I apologize to the entire country of Canada for that. Rightfully so. And I, I hope that you write back with full vengeance uh, renditions of your national anthem. Because they're so polite. Their full vengeance is... Incredibly polite. The, 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 We're can, cool. Canadians. Are We're cool. cool with Canada. They like Canada. Canada. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, and then we have a second reading. Galatians five to one. Jumping. That's a big jump. Thirteen to eighteen. Yeah, thirteen. Twelve whole cha- twelve whole verses. Our gospel this week is coming from Luke chapter nine verses fifty one through sixty two. The beginning of the travel discourses. Incidentally. Wow. Dude, you know what would happen if if Luke was part of uh, the Harlem Globe trottle trotters? Trottles. Trottles. No, I don't. Are you about to fall asleep? No. <laughs> you got the lazy eyes. I see that far off look in your face. No. You're thinking about the Harlem Globe Trotters. <laughs> you're thinking about your motorcycle trip. I see where you are. You're on the motorcycle already. Dude, the, you're not here. I, dude, do you know how much I have to do in the next four hours? That's probably why you're. I haven't it's done it to just be on the motorcycle. I haven't done any like I haven't done any like I've done some preparing. Oh, I, I imagine so. So, dude, well, I'll wait. Tell wait, you. I'm sorry. Wait, what was the joke you were about to make, Luke? If Luke was on the Harlem Globetrotters, he would be traveling. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh! It was it was you bad back for that. No, I was. You, do you see how it. I turned you it could into do like better. I can, I've done way better in the past. I I scold you because I have so much respect for you. Dude, come on. Can I just point something else out? Yes. Just, this is a note. Somebody who uh, I met recently who said they've listened to the podcast for a long time and then met me and met you as well. And there was a one point in listening to the podcast where they were like, wait a second. The one who says dude all the time is the priest? I thought it was the other <laughs> way. <laughs> he just couldn't believe it. That's glorious. I know. He thought they, yeah. Uh, he thought I was you. They, you know what? They tried to, they tried to whittle it out of me. Who did? Who's they? The formation staff. Oh, the for who are they? They're in seminary? A group of priests in seminary who are responsible to ensure priests are presentable to the universe. 
Somehow, <laughs> somehow they, you made they, it through. Yeah, they didn't get through to me. Somehow you and Father Nathan Goble slipped through the cracks. Oh, Lord have mercy. He will. Dude, Catholic stuff you should know, man. There's, those guys are still blowing up. <laughs> they are. They're the best. We still have to do our crossover episode. Absolutely. And we, you won't know when it's coming. It's going to be a surprise. Supplies. Supplies. Uh, the First Kings, chapter 19. This dude, is a... Elijah, Elisha, dude. Yeah, dude. And in, there's some stuff with their names. Would you talk to me about the names and like, the similarities and differences and stuff? Well, technically, uh, Elijah is pronounced Elijah. And what we call Elisha is actually pronounced Elisha, not Elijah. So, so it's, it's not it's like Elijah, Farajaka? Farajaka, Elisha, Elisha. So it's not Elisha, it's Elisha. But the reason that was sort of changed in our in our corporal mindset was for the poor readers at Mass who would have to work through Elijah and Elisha. Yeah, so it's to save us from the fatigue of our ears having to hear those two names that sound so similar. Yeah, yeah, that's hard. What Are, are these kind of similar guys? Because for some reason I always well, thought that, that Elisha mm, well versus done. Elijah, mm. um, Elisha was a little bit more... I don't know. I mean, we, the scene we have today. High maintenance. Yeah. Like he, he's got some stuff. Like he's not quite as like willing and able as Elijah. I think he is. I well, see. This is debatable because. Dude, he won't. I mean, Elijah calls him out straight out of the gate. This is the reading we have today. Like You think so? Yeah. He's, he's like, he, he's like, hey, hold on for one second. And Elijah's like, what did I do to offend you? You're like, whoa, whoa, that accelerated real quick, bro. Yeah, I actually don't get that line. Because it's permit, it's perfectly permissible. So, so okay. So to catch you guys up, we're having a conversation without you. What happens in the reading? So it, the Lord's well. Okay, we got to put it in context for a second. Contextualize for context. me, bro. There is a, a really immediate context. So again, the reading kind of jumps a little bit, but this is the moment. So when we're when we show up in the reading, this is just when. Elijah has been up on Mount Carmel. Remember, he's got the there was the big storm and there was the fire and there was the earthquake and the Lord wasn't in it. And Elijah's up on the mountain. And he's like, "Why has God abandoned me? This everything is terrible. My life stinks. I just called down fire on." So remember, he gave that challenge to the priests of Baal. So so okay, where are we? We're in the Northern Kingdom. Israel has had her civil war. The Northern Kingdom is split off. They've founded their own kingdom. They found they've they've ordained their own priests. They've got their own temple. They worship other gods. And Elijah is one of this faithful remnant who's still faithful to Yahweh and saying, wait, the whole country has lost its mind and he's trying to call them back. And so he goes and he challenges the king, but he also challenges the, the, the priests whose God is more powerful. And he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to both build altars. I'm going to ask my God to call down fire from heaven onto this altar. You guys ask your God, Baal, to call down fire from heaven onto your altar and we'll see who wins, right? You guys can probably know the story. So yes. they, they go in and Elijah... He kind of goes, he, I get the impression he goes a little bit overboard. And he puts, remember, he dumps water on it. And he Three stirs, times. He makes a, stoop, a soup out of it. He's like, ha ha, look at me. And then he's watching the priests of Baal dance around. He's like, maybe your God is in the bathroom. Or maybe Dude, he took he's a like, trip. He's like taunting them. I always kind of was a little bit mad at him for that. And then, and except for when, I, when I'm feeling a little bit righteous and I'm like, yeah. But most of the time I'm just like, no, like. I don't know. Like, it's really, it's like, it's embarrassing for them. And I think that's actually the point of the story. It doesn't get talked about a lot, but the more closely I read the story, I think that's kind of the point is that Elijah shouldn't have been doing that. He shouldn't have been taunting them. It actually wasn't a good means of evangelization because, I mean, the, quite frankly, the fruit of it. Yes, they, they, and they go crazy in the priest and they're cutting Slashing themselves and they're doing all this yeah. stuff. And he's like laughing at them and mocking them. And then God is faithful and he calls down fire from heaven. 
And then Elijah, and this is where it's interesting. He's like, I can't believe it. Nobody converted. No one came back to the one true God. Nobody listened to my message. And you're like, well, of course not, because you were a jerk about it. And I'm like, yeah. And the then you killed happened. everybody. And then you killed, not, not to mention the fact that you killed everybody. But he was just kind of a jerk. And then he goes up on the mountain. He's like, what the heck, God? I did what you asked me to do. I went through the message. I said these things. I did this stuff. And nobody converted. And there's there for a while, there's silence on the part of God. And he kind of lets Elijah just sit with it and deal with it and feel the pain of it. And the thing that I, I see in Elijah is that at least at that moment in his life, he didn't feel the pain and the hurt of these people having abandoned the one true God. He didn't feel the pain of God. It was an anger and a mockery of it, which is precisely what Jesus so often calls out in the gospels. Mm. The job of the apostles and you know, the Pharisees, they mock and they ridicule the sinners around them. This yeah. is why the Pharisees are so mad when Jesus eats and dines with sinners because they're losers. And what's wrong with you? Don't you understand what kind of a person that is and all this stuff? And that's precisely what Elijah is doing and God kind of punishes him for it and he gives silence and he doesn't actually answer Elijah for a while and he has to kind of deal with this and work this out. And at the end of this long time he has up on Mount Carmel trying to hash this out and figure out what is going on. He asks God, he's like, what, what are you doing? Am I alone? Am I the only one who's left? This is horrible. I've done everything I thought you asked me to do. I've done these things. Nobody jumped on board. And then we kind of jump in to our reading this week. And it's the, the very end of that moment in Elijah's life. And God says, basically, you are actually going to have a disciple. There are more. It's not just about you. And, and this is part of Elijah's problem. He's put the whole weight of the pain of God on his own shoulders. And he said, I alone can fix this. I alone I'm able to bring hope here. I alone can convert these heathens. And God's like, no, Elijah, it's not really about you. And actually, I'm going to send you someone who your job is to disciple, and they're going to take the baton from you. And not only that, he shows them there are actually 7,000 more like you who are faithful. It's not all about you. There are more. I will always protect my people. So yes, number one, you're going to have a companion. You're not going to be alone anymore because you can't take it. You can't handle it. And not only that, know that there are 7,000 righteous ones like you. You're not the only one, which is always a really comforting reading for me in the midst of a really dark culture. And, you know, even as Catholics going out in the world, like, are we the only ones? You know, everybody yeah. on the street, nobody's going to church at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning. You know, they're all sleeping or they're hanging out or they're still in their PJs, they're sipping hiking. their coffee or they're hiking in the mountains or they're going for a run. And they're like, why are you, you know, you have to do all this stuff and get up early and get dressed up and go to church. And sometimes it feels like, man, am I the only one who's doing this? Right. And I know I'm not, but it's a good reminder because we get that kind of self-righteousness of like, man, we either have the lamentation of I'm alone. It's only me. No one else cares. Or the self-righteousness of, well, I'm going to be faithful and nobody else is faithful. Only me. And I'm the only one waking up early and getting my family up. And aren't I great? And this is both of what Elijah is falling into, which is why God tells him, no, it's time for you to train somebody else. Not because I'm taking you out of the job, but you need to know it's not all about you. Yeah. And Elisha, so to get to your question, Elisha's at, Elisha, whatever, is going to go on to do double everything that Elijah does. Now, Elisha doesn't get very much credit. He's kind of the forgot. Elijah is known and recognized and remembered. But in fact, it's actually Elisha or Elisha who goes and he does twice as many miracles as Elijah. So everything Elijah does, Elisha will do twice, two of. So multiplying loaves of bread, Elisha will multiply double what Elijah did. Elijah raised somebody, raises somebody from the dead, he does it to two people. So everything is doubled. So he's actually, in a certain sense, the greater prophet. 
but we don't get the view. The reason he's not recognized as the greater prophet is that we don't get the view into his heart that we get from Elijah. And the reason Elijah is held out as a model for us is not because he did these great things. He did great things. Elisha does more. But God gives us this insight into the heart of someone who's trying to be faithful. He's kind of a jerk about it. He struggles with it, and he's able to reconcile that with God. That's why he is the model, because we see his interior, Mm. and we're meant to sort of model ourselves after that process, which is a good, painful, but holy process. It's where Carmelite spirituality comes from. Right. But yeah, then we get to really the bulk of our reading today, and he goes to this person that God has told him to go to. Before we go on. Before. Today, Junior. Today, Junior. What movie is that from? Oh, uh, Happy Madison? Yes. Billy Madison? Something like that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, dude, I, I had an insight and I said it to you in mass the other day and I would think you were the only person. I said it specifically just for you when I was talking about <laughs> Thank uh, you. Uh, uh, Alicia asking for a double portion of the spirit Yeah. and how, in fact, that's actually the model of what took place yes. in in baptism and confirmation. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was good. It was during the Totus Tuus Mass with it, all the little ones. It, it was, was awesome. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, I have to get this insight out for Scott. That was great. And you were there, and I was like, I, and I just I just threw that one in there because I was like, the was kids great. aren't going to, they're going to miss it. But, but I just, I think like, gosh, sometimes we forget. And I mean, because what we see with Elijah and Alicia um, is that uh, we see the pattern of Jesus and the church. I mean, like, Yes. You, you know, that's what Acts of the Apostles are yeah. with, in yeah, yeah, relationship yeah, 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 yeah. to the Gospel of Luke. So on one level, the explicit one is John the Baptist and Jesus. But then you also have a whole other layer, which is what you're pointing out, which yep. is Jesus and then the church, which, which is t- huge. Today is the nativity of John the Baptist, by the way. Oh, t- the day we're recording. Yeah, the, the day podcast. we're recording, um, which is awesome because it's uh, usually right, right next to the solstice because he must increase and I must decrease. And so as the sun begins decreasing, you have the, you, you actually have a cosmological reality present to where John the Baptist is, is actually decreasing while Jesus is increasing. And so I think it's just really, I think it's just a really beautiful, beautiful cosmological Whoa, reality. That's awesome. I don't know. Have you heard that? That's before? really cool. I, I, it's vaguely familiar. Probably yeah. I heard it from you, but I've forgotten. That's really neat. Yeah. Probably three years ago. Yeah, I, I was going to say on this podcast. <laughs> I don't know, actually. Maybe maybe not, because I don't know if we were doing it back then. But, I don't know. But so that I think that that's just, a really, that's just a really cool part about what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. But we need to talk about the call of Elisha for a second. Elisha. I'll just, I'm just going to call him Elisha, just because it's just, easier. Yeah, yeah, just do it. So he... so he, Eli- he, The church has chosen that personal pronoun for him. Yes, they have. The... It's not a personal pronoun. I'm sorry. I'm not going to split hairs over grammar. This is not the time or the place for that. Whatever, dog. I was trying. I was trying. I was trying to be ironic. Isn't it ironic? It's like ten thousand pronouns when all you need is a personal noun. Uh, Elijah went out and he came upon Elisha, the son of Shabbat, and he was plowing with the twelve yoke of oxen. Yoke. And he was following the twelve. So Elijah. He he was. Some people say that he was just yoking around. uh, Okay. That was good. Hey. <laughs> oh, the yokes coming out of you. Oh, dude. The, oh, hold on. I was, uh, I was reading um, Les Mis the other day, Les, Les Miserables. Yeah. And uh, he, there, was, there was this speech given about puns and how everybody from all time, including Jesus, has used wordplay. and true. And how it, comparing uh, uh, it to bird droppings. <laughs> it's just, you just oh let him go and they land where they will, but that everybody has used them throughout time. Wow. That's a good analogy. Yeah. And uh, just let them fly, let it rip. And I was like, wow. I was like, man. So basically 
Okay, let's keep going. Wow. No, it's good. Uh, yeah, so Elijah goes up to him. He throws his cloak over him, which was a symbol, a sign of uh, of discipleship, really. That's what this relationship is. It's a model of discipleship. No, it, you know is, what it was? Oh, my gosh, what? It was It was like Harry Potter with the cloak of invisibility. Do you think that's where they got that? <laughs> yeah. Harry Potter got it? Probably. Probably. Yeah, but he's uh, he's anointing him. Basically, well, he's not anointing him yet. He's calling him on as his disciple. But you get this great line, and it, it's cool. Elisha left his oxen. He ran after Elijah. This is explicit discipleship language to leave something to follow someone. But then he says, "Just let me go kiss my mother and my father goodbye." <laughs> nice. And then I will follow you. And Elijah says, "Go back." But then he says, have I done anything to you? And that's what we kind of started this whole conversation. <laughs> I don't get that line because Elijah is, is clearly giving him permission, saying, yeah, which even on just a human level, that's not that unreasonable. If you're called to go do something, God is calling me to go on this mission trip. I'm going to say goodbye to my mom. I certainly hope my kids would want to say goodbye to me if they're going to go off and be, if Samuel goes off and becomes a mendicant priest someplace in the streets, I hope he'd say goodbye first. That doesn't seem that unreasonable. You know what I mean? Well, we're going to, we're going to discover the fulfillment of this in the gospel today. Yes, we will. Um, And so, so there's this part of me that's like, there's some cultural thing that I've got to believe that, that kiss, go to kiss my parents has got to mean something more than what we're making sense of because he then he gets really dramatic. Yeah. I mean, like, I and I like his dramatic gesture of like killing all the oxen and yeah. boiling their flesh and feeding the people through like getting rid of the means, uh, like saying, like, I'm making a true cut from what I'm supposed to be doing or burn like what I'm doing now. Yeah, burn the ships. Yeah. We're who, here. Who is that? Uh, um, there was like some Vikings or something and like they, they landed the and then they burned the ships so that they could the like, Vikings. dude, come on. Yeah, I, don't, was, I don't know who burned the ships. The, the some, Spanish. Yeah. The some, French. Some pilgrims. Germans. Oh my gosh. Anyway. Oh yeah. The, 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 the pilgrims. Pil- pilgrim people. Some, some pilgrims. They Santa, burned the ships. Santa Maria. Cause they knew it was going to be hard for people in the new land. So they, the, the captains had burned the ship so they can't make a run for it. Which is great. I mean, he's saying, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to show, I'm not going to return to my form. It's like Peter in the new Testament burning his boat so that he can't go back to being a fisherman after, you know, following Jesus becomes too hard, which is funny because then following Jesus becomes pretty hard and he goes back to being a fisherman, Yeah, which is a whole different scenario. But Peter never burned his boat. No, no, no. But if he had, it would have been this really profound sign of like, I'm not going back because we see how easy it is for Peter to go back. How can we sleep while our beds are burning? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, so then Elijah left uh, left, and he followed Elisha. Eli- Elisha <laughs> and followed Elijah as his attendant. And literally, it says, as his disciple. But but what this story is showing is that Elijah is, is, doing, is doing fine. Duh. Elisha. Elisha is doing fine. And he goes through this series of, if you read on in the text, he goes through the series of tests. Elijah has to test him and make sure he's going to be faithful. He's faithful in all the tests. He passes everything. He's a good disciple. So that's our setup. Um, and then the, the responsorial psalm, Psalm 16, you are my inheritance, O Lord. This is the psalm that gives the missionary or the prophet or whatever it is, the disciple permission to leave everything behind and move forward, uh, to burn the ships. Uh, because those oxen are not Elisha's inheritance, like he thinks they are, or they were at one point, right? Right. It's the Lord himself. So Elisha, Elisha literally gives up everything because God is his inheritance, are you willing to you know, quit a job or leave friends or close connections or do whatever in order to follow God? Well, no, because those things are my future. Those things are my hope. Right. Those are the things I trust in. But they're not your inheritance. The Lord is. So the responsorial psalm is a perfect 
um, complement really to what the first reading is challenging us to, to see what, what Alicia is doing and the understanding he obviously has because he gets that. And again, this is in the middle. Don't forget of a culture that has totally completely forgotten and abandoned God. This is not in this environment where, you know, oh, I'll just pick this disciple over, over that guy. You know, there's the, the pickings are plenty. They're not. Nobody is willing to do this. The fact that Alicia is actually willing to go forward in this is a pretty profound gesture because it's unheard of yeah. in this culture. So it's a big deal. And he's proclaiming that God is his inheritance and his hope is in you, his refuge, right? All the things that this psalm goes on to say, my allotted portion of my cup, it is you who hold fast my lot. It's not these oxen. It's not this farmland. It's not this job. It's not this family structure whatever it is. It's only you which is where the permission comes, which I'm just have to say, like nobody I know who is like really bummed about getting an inheritance. No, but probably not. What is the inheritance? Depends on what the inheritance is though. Yeah. So moving on. Okay. So then now, <laughs> now where do we go? To Galatians, of course. For all those people in Galatia. Yeah. The Galatians. It's in Asia Minor, present day Turkey. Dude, you call me a turkey again, and a we're going to find out who's chicken. Oh, look at that. Oh, mm. dude. My kids are in that phase of life where they're telling chicken crossing the road jokes that oh. don't make any sense. <laughs> at least Samuel's in that phase. And they laugh their heads off. They love the, the absurdity, the non sequitur oh of it all. Gosh, it's the best. So, but, but the Galatians is actually a really, a really good um, compliment as well to these first two readings. So remember, Paul, just to put, again, put it in context. The city, the, the region of Galatia, they have been beguiled, right? They've been bewitched, as some of the translations say. So Paul went in this sort of rural area. He established churches there. Paul says it's his constant worry. He goes in, he establishes churches, he teaches them the gospel. He puts in place leaders who he thinks will be faithful, and then he has to go and right. just hope for the best and hope nobody crazy comes in and tears everything apart. But in Galatians, somebody crazy, people crazy have come in and tore him apart yep. and badmouthed Paul and said, he lied to you. Here's the truth. This is the real gospel. So Paul writes this letter ticked off. He says, oh, stupid Galatians, literally. Who has deceived you? Who has deceived you? And he knows precisely who it is. It's yes. these people who've come from Jerusalem. They're like, no, no, no. We are truly Jewish leaders. Paul, he's a Roman citizen. He's just some nobody from Tarsus. He doesn't know. And so Paul is going on this long letter. It's not that long. One letter. could say that they Tarsus and feathered him. Mm, you're on fire today, aren't you? Ah, dude, I'm about to go on a motorcycle, dude. But he's saying, brothers and sisters, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And if you catch the imagery that he's using here and the wisdom in the, of the church oh. and actually uniting these together, what what the church is telling us through Paul's writings is for someone like Alicia to have stayed back home where it was comfortable yeah. would have actually been submitting to the yoke of slavery. To not listen to the... Now, we all have freedom to listen to God's call or not. Right. right. To do... You didn't have to become a priest. Right. And if you hadn't become a priest, you probably wouldn't be fulfilled in the same way that you are. But I don't think your life would have been just a complete misery. No. You, you have some human freedom, right? Right. You wouldn't, be, you wouldn't have been in fullness the person God wanted you to. But I'd have done a lot more drag racing. But there is the implication that you would have had sort of a yoke of slavery. Because you have not given yourself the freedom or, or God has not, you have not allowed God to give you the freedom to be the person you're called to be as hard as that is yes. to give something up in order to be free, 
to actually submit yourself in order to be free. Elisha submits himself to Elijah, to following him, to being discipled, to being taught, to walking in his footsteps. And that, according to the second reading, is really where freedom comes in. It's our submitting ourselves to Jesus and his teaching and the church and all of the rubrics and the traditions and everything else that we truly find freedom. And that's what Paul goes on to say, for you are called for freedom, brothers and sisters, but don't use it for an opportunity for the flesh, but rather serve one another through this. And it goes on to talk about how we live out this freedom. But, and, and we've talked about this, I'm sure on this podcast before, but our, our, it's sort of our societal problem. We hear the word freedom and we always want to think freedom from something. I rather want to be than, free. Yeah. Rather than freedom for, for. saying that, 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 in fact, our will, like when we have freedom, we're actually able to choose things that are more difficult and more potent uh, than just taking the wide path that everybody else ta- takes versus the narrow path that it really, you know, is it, it, it makes all the difference. But also to forget that, not to forget that the wide path, the wide comfortable path is a kind of a, a slavery. Yes. It's not as comfortable as it looks like. Right. The narrow mm-hmm. difficult path is actually where freedom lies. And it, it's like, I think we both knew Andy Remstad. He had a great analogy. Oh. Well, I'm not going to use Andy's analogy because it was weird. But another similar analogy. Come on, now you've piqued my curiosity. It had to do with boats and sailing, and it was complicated. Okay. But he was building off of a much simpler one. So, for example, I could walk into a room where a piano was sitting, and I could bang on the keys, but I'm actually not free to play anything. But someone who's been trained and worked and been, been disciplined and studied piano actually has freedom to walk in a room or walk in the church or the choir rehearsal room and actually play something beautiful. I don't have that freedom because I didn't discipline myself to learn that. Stop it. Cut cut it out. Cut it out. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I don't have that freedom. So yeah, I can bang on keys, but there is a certain freedom of someone who has studied something and worked these things out and spent hours and now you can just sit down and just let it rip and play something beautiful. That is a freedom, but it's a freedom that only comes with discipline and submitting yourself in a certain sense. So it'd be like sailing a ship to be able to like sail the ship. He talked about like, I'm not free to, to build a boat and sail across. The, the, I don't remember how it went. I always wanted to take a, one of like ski do or whatever those things just across oh, yes. the ocean. But I don't think that would go well for you. I don't think that'd go well for anybody. You don't have the freedom to do that. I shouldn't have Your freedom skill to set. do that. But that's the point, and that's where Paul is talking. And he says it's really the law and the spirit that has guided you in this, in this freedom. That's where it's not the words of the law, but it's the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who actually gives us that freedom. So submitting ourselves to him, conforming ourselves to him, we become more and more free. And I was telling the gals up at Camp Foytiwa, I was giving a little teaching this morning because they all went to confession last night. I was saying now that you've gone to confession, yeah, it's the next day. There was a lot of excitement. We had a party afterwards. But now that you've gone to confession, okay, it's... Now I begin again. Now I start over. I'm probably going to fall to similar stuff. You know, we're going to blow it again. And to forget that, no, the more you do it, the more you go to the sacraments, the more you go to confession, the more you go to mass, the more freedom you're actually going to gain to not do those things anymore Mm. and to do the things that you should. Because it's, you know, we talk about downward spirals. Grace is an upward spiral. And the more we actually receive the grace and the sacraments, the better we become. It's kind of like a, it's like a thermal. (laughs) A thermal? Thermal. Thermal. For gliders, people. Mm. For you glidering people you, who like to glide or hang glider or plane glider. I don't have the freedom to do that because no, I or haven't birds. disciplined myself. Birds can catch thermals. Birds can catch them. So that takes us to the Gospels. 
Uh, speaking of freedom. Speaking of thermals. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is Luke nine fifty one, which is our first verse. Okay. It's the beginning. This is there is a clear break in the text of Luke, which? starting at chapter nine verse fifty one, all the way through chapter nineteen, which is what we call the travel discourse or the travel narrative, and everything from nine fifty one through the end of nineteen is about Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem. He's is, making a path. He's going somewhere. And so every story, every parable, every everything he does and tells is about either people going on a journey somewhere or about masters returning from someplace. Which is so funny because when you hear the the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus and them specifically walking away from Jerusalem yeah. at the end of such a deliberate, intentional journeying, you're like, yeah. what yeah. are you doing? Mm. You're losing it. I can't do that. Yeah. But even it even sets you up that way. When the days for Jesus is being taken up were fulfilled. So in other words, it's time for Jesus to be delivered into death. So he's making the route. He's been traveling around, preaching, doing all the stuff. And now he knows it's time. And in most translations, it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And to set one's face in the Old Testament in our translation, it says he resolutely determined, which is fine. But the idiom of to set one's face means to go and do something that's going to be exceedingly difficult, right. but to do it anyway. Yes. And Jesus has the freedom to do that. Right. He's free about what he's going to do, but he knows it's coming. He knows it's imminent, and everything he does and says on the way is going to reflect that imminence. Um, so, yeah, so they go on. He sent messengers. They entered the Samaritan village. Um, they were mean to him. They were, they were jerks. And he knew his destination was it was Jerusalem. So he's like, we don't have to stay here. It's no big deal. And then the disciples, James and John, saw this. They saw the people being jerks. They asked, what? Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to consume them? Which is my, my question. Hey, okay, so there's a lot of things before this that we got to ask some questions about. A, okay, have they done this before so that they have just such supreme confidence? B, are they just taking up the story of scripture and saying like, this is normal that we would see this in like Sodom and Gomorrah. We call down fire and from Not Sodom heaven. and Gomorrah they're thinking of. They I, might be thinking of Sodom and Gomorrah. I, they're thinking of something much more specific. Elijah being taken up at the fiery chariot? No. What did Elijah do? Called down fire? Yeah. Remember he called down fire onto the altar. Oh. They're seeing. What a, the, why am I so blind? No, you know, Bill I, Mansfield took, is so angry with me right now. He's I, like, come on. It took me a few times of actually reading these readings before I saw that one. And, I've, you know, I've seen it a million times before. But they're thinking, I mean, and, and it's not just for us because the church has set us up with these readings. The mission of Elijah and Elisha would have been really clear to the disciples. They knew who John the Baptist was that he was a new Elijah. They saw the transferring of authority, the giving the double portion of the spirit that comes upon Jesus. They've already heard Jesus talk about John the Baptist as the new Elijah. They get this story and they're like, all right. And I remember before he was like, who do people say that I am? They're like, well, some say Elijah and Elijah's always in the picture. He's very much a part of this mindset because they know that their culture is wonky. They know that the people have gone astray. And they're like, now it's time for this guy to act like Elijah. You get the sense throughout the, all of the Gospels that the disciples are always a little bit frustrated with Jesus mm. because he doesn't act like a king or a big prophet. The prophets called down fire. The prophets did these things. They called people out. They killed people. They slaughtered things. You know, they asked God to do these big, profound miracles. Jesus is healing people and asking for forgiveness for people. Like, that's cool. It's cool to bring back a withered hand, you know, and bring it back to fruition. But let's see some fire from heaven, Jesus. Let's act like an Old Testament prophet. 
So I think they're calling him out. They're like, all right, you've already said it's time to go to Jerusalem. That's where showdown time is going to happen. So if you're heading to showdown time, you better start acting like it. Ooh. I get the impression that that's what's on their mind. I mean, I'm putting words in their mouth, but that's what I think is going on here. Hmm. I think that could, I think I can dig that actually. But that's where it really matters. I mean, again, it's my my thinking is that Elijah was wrong in the way that he went about it. He wasn't wrong to call down fire. I mean, that was what God asked him to do, but he was a jerk about it. And he did not have a right a, a, a holy righteousness about him. And the disciples, at least James and John, are falling into the same kind of thing. We're the only ones who understand this. We're the ones who know. We're your followers. We're going to get the thrones. So you call down fire. Then that'll teach them. That'll show them. And God's intention is not to show them. He wants to show them so that they will be brought in. Not to show them so that they can feel ridiculed or ashamed or be, you know, be burned alive for Pete's sake. Which is where the disciples are acting like Elijah pre-Mount Carmel. Right. Instead of Elijah post-Mount Carmel. And so Jesus is going to have to do what? Take him to another mountain where mm. they're going to see another sort of desolation take place. Wow. I Calvary. Think. Yeah. 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 They're headed to Calvary. In a small whispering voice. Yeah. Which is very interesting. But then we read on, right? Uh, they proceed on their That's journey. powerful. Isn't it? Yeah. The connection's neat. Yeah. They proceed on and then they found some guy who's like, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus answered, Foxes have had dens, birds of the sky have nests, the son of man has nowhere to ray his head. And to it and that was just kind of confusing. And the guy I don't know what he responds. He's like, What? I think it's just said I was gonna follow you. You're talking about birds and fish. I think he says I'm homeless, dude. He is, basically. He's like, We don't have a palace right now. We don't have this great huge encampment of a a conquering king coming in. I'm sleeping on people's couches, right? Or wherever we can find a place to lay our heads, and this guy doesn't appear to be up for it. But then there's another one. He said, follow me. And this one replied, first, let me go and bury my father. And he said, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then there's another one who says, I will follow you, but first let me say farewell to my family at home. And Jesus says, no one who sets his hand to a plow and looks back to what he left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. That's a direct reference to Elisha. Elisha put his hand to the plow and looked back and wanted to say goodbye, which I still contend it was perfectly acceptable. Jesus is saying, what I'm asking you to do is beyond what's merely acceptable. Right. It's above and beyond. And it's not just Jesus is a jerk and just ticked off. He's saying the time is short. It is imminent. Later on, there's going to be time for these things. Right now, it's time to move. The uh, burying the father is interesting. So in Jewish law, to bury one's father, it's the one and only thing that would release you from all of the laws of the Sabbath. Oh. So it was held as that important. It was crucial that you could bury your father. And you are free from every other restriction in the Jewish law. And the Jewish law is pretty strict. Yeah. But burying your father trumped everything. So that was a very big deal. So what Jesus is saying is, what I'm asking you is above and beyond even the the most important components of the Jewish law. I'm calling you to something even greater than that. And what's interesting about the burying of the father, uh, again, this is kind of getting a little more contextual, to bury one's father in the Jewish um, manner And we get the sense of this from Jesus. Actually, this will make sense. So the process is actually really long, which is Jesus isn't just in a super duper hurry. Well, he is in a hurry. He's not just mad about burying fathers and trying to upend the law for no reason. To bury your father meant what you would do in the Jewish practice was if your father died or a person died, you would take them and you would put them in a big open cave, a tomb. Uh, Well, a big open cave tomb, right? 
You would put them there, wrap them in cloths, and you would wait for the body to decompose, which usually took quite a while. And when you think the body had sufficiently decomposed, you would go in and you would take all of the bones and you would put them into an ossuary, this place where bones stay. And then you would bury the ossuary with your parents' bones in it. This is why we hear about Moses' bones and the bones of the patriarchs and stuff. It's also why Jesus, remember, Jesus was, wasn't much of anybody, at least in the eyes of the world. And he had this huge kind of cave where they buried his body. And can you imagine how inefficient it would be if every single person who died got their own cave to be buried in? I've thought about that before. It's because that's not where you'd stay. It's only temporary. You would put the body in the cave temporarily for the body to decompose. Then you would take it and bury them. So many, many people would. And that's why it actually says, remember in the Gospels, he was buried in a tomb in which no one had yet been buried. Nobody had used it yet. And a lot of people probably in the future would. So it's actually a really long process. So what Jesus is saying is not disrespect your father. I don't care about any of these things. Stupid Jewish law, whatever. He's saying, no, there is no time for that. It's time to move now. We cannot wait because now is the moment that God chose to move, which changes the perspective a little bit. And then he even amps that up and trumps that when he says, no, you're not allowed to do what Alicia did. Yeah, I get that Alicia did that. It was a pretty profound mission that he was on. Mine is much more important. Because this is a direct reference. The apostles would have known the story. Yeah, for sure. And they heard this guy. It's like, let me say goodbye to my father and mother. They're like, yeah, that's what Elijah did. This guy gets the story. They're probably not even just thinking that's okay. They're thinking this man understands what he's being called to. He understands the call of Elisha and Elijah. He gets it. And Jesus just slapped him in the face for that, basically. And said, no, you don't get it because this is way bigger. Which you got to think if you're an apostle, you're like, Oh boy, what are what are we, what did we sign on for again? Yeah, what's no going kidding. on? Here? Which is intense, but it only makes sense in light of the bigger story. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. I'm I'm like I'm real impressed. It's cool. It's this neat is, stuff. This is the they did really well in linking these these, these readings together. These the, are this really uh, integral, integral. Yeah, they 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 have an integrity to them. They have an integrity to them. That's true. Which is what we all want to have to us. Am I right? Am I right or am I right? You're right and you're right. And so I'm going to have some integrity and not podcast for my motorcycle. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you guys, thanks moms everywhere for <laughs> um, chiding me like yes, indeed. a true son who is a father. Ooh, a father son. Father son. Father. Yeah. yeah. Well, God bless you. Um, uh, happy feasts of all the things. And, uh, <laughs> yes, I'll, indeed. And I'll talk to you guys from the road. We will see you next week. Okay. But not literally from the road. Ah. ah, see you then. Bye. Bye-bye. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.